0: You're listening to Conversations of Inspiration with Ben Moore and Scott Gunn on the EXP podcast. The show that brings you expert insights from those who have had an exponential impact on their industries. They say that success leaves footprints. So take a walk with us as we explore all things growth, business and mindset every Monday from 7 a.m. Sit back, relax and enjoy today's show. Um, three two one welcome to the podcast guys good Thank morning you. how you doing very nice well how- you, likewise likewise So Peter, you and I have never had the privilege of sitting down and speaking together before this very moment, but one person that I have got to know quite well over the last couple of years is uh, Scott, and what I can tell you about Scott is that he's one person who is tough to impress, um, and he speaks very highly of you, and your names come up in conversation more times than I can even count, so you Ah. must be doing something right, (laughs) Peter. So uh, yeah, really excited to welcome you onto the show today and
1: uh, delve into your story a bit more. Great. Good. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll echo that. I mean, i have been looking forward to this one, Peter, um, very much so. I mean, you're the, just to introduce you to those that don't know you, I'm sure many people do, but you're the former managing director of the juggernaut that was Foxton's, uh, the CEO of Marsh & Parsons. And what we're looking forward to doing today is talking about your experiences there, um, equally your, your exits, which I think were are really interesting as well. Um, and and the future of a state agency because at the moment it all seems very much up in the air so um, yeah looking forward to it so you were I mean I know you as the managing director of Foxton's but actually your experience you you joined when they were really quite small then really very early days
2: yeah really early days December 85 how about that wow
1: (laughs) a couple of years yeah
2: (laughs) I wasn't Um, yeah, December 85 in the Fulham office, where we were 20, 20, 21 people. And it was the first time we did 0%, or they did 0%, and I joined. And so, That's
1: right,
2: yeah, that, that was, um, you know, we were a shitty little agency in Hill Gate uh, in a former restaurant. And, uh, and we came up with this. I didn't come up with this idea. Someone came up with us. It, it, it actually wasn't John. It was a guy called Andrew Wildblood, who came up with this idea of let's do it for nothing um and it was so revolutionary and and obviously it, it was incredibly successful in full we got 370 instructions in three months wow, and obviously had out. boards everywhere and and it was amazing um uh, it was extraordinarily hard work I got I got an ulcer in two months um but uh, it was nine till nine seven days a week in those days and again it was the whole purpose of Foxton's was designed to really shape things up not to be part of the traditional estate agency sector but to get out and piss a few people off and yes we did i
1: could yeah you certainly did um <laughs> and it's, it's interesting i mean that that echoed out i mean there's been a lot of imitators of foxton's you'll have seen and you know i work for a company that modeled themselves very much on foxton's but we were in a small sleepy town you know we weren't in london yeah. and we no. we went nine till eight and we had the minis and you know the discounted fees to take over markets and a 50 percent market share and a lot of that was mimicking foxton's yeah But having visited Foxton's and seen the head office, I know there's only really one sort of genuine company that are doing that. I mean, what was it like there in the early days? You know, I'm just really interested to know how it felt to be part of Foxton's because you can't, could you see where it was going or did it take you by surprise?
2: Um, It's difficult to think back that far. I mean, I knew when I met John, I knew he was just a a genius, really. Uh, He's the most incredible forward thinker. And he used to tell me things that would happen and and actually did. You know, I mean, um, he guessed, I mean, years before Rightmove and stuff ever came to being, he guessed that they would dominate the market and become um, synonymous and and agents would be beholden to them. And and yes, they are. Um, He was very focused on fees, as I am. Uh, Fees are are the most crucial thing you can do as an agent to protect your fees. Um, He was focused on growth. I mean, (sighs) I mean, the Islington office, when I was there, I became MD in 97. You know, we had 28 lettings negotiators and over 40 sales negotiators. We had 700 let sales instructions and over 500 letting instructions. It was immense. Yep. And obviously, the, the, keeping that juggernaut moving was incredibly stressful. I used to, I used to interview probably 100 people a week uh, right. and, and not one-to-one. We had a little sort of drinks party affairs. I don't know if you came to one of those, Scott. I don't know. Um, yeah, I did attend sort of one. Four, Forty people in the room, and I sort of worked the room, and they went out one by one to meet people. And at the end of the evening, we literally we took their pictures, stuck them all in the wall, and said yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes. Um, it was that intense, and as you probably know, we got through a lot of people. Sometimes it was too brutal, um, and sometimes it was necessary because they were in the wrong job.
1: Well, I I did attend one of those evenings. And actually, I attended one of those evenings as a mole, Peter. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, it it nearly backfired, to be honest, because... (laughs) Did you get a job? Well, I attended attended as a mole to find out more about your interview process. And and actually, as a 21, 22-year-old kid... I was so blown away by that head office. It's like a, mm-hmm. it's like an, Ben, if you've never seen it, it's like tip five. It's like, I a, mean,
0: I, I obviously I'm, I'm based up North Peter. So I'm on the filed coast, a Lancashire coastline, a very posh way of saying Blackpool lovely. and surrounding markets. <laughs> but um, I used to have a, um, I launched an agency in Manchester a few years back and I partnered up with an investment firm in London. So I moved down for a year or so. And there was a Foxton's at the end of where I was renting my flat and um, I walked past it. And I was like, wow, I have never seen anything like that in my life. They've got fridges, and it just looked like something from another world. So incredible.
2: It was, it wasn't is, I don't know about is, it was really exciting. I mean, <clears throat> agency, if it's not driven agency, <clears throat> excuse me, can be a, <clears throat> a tough place, a, you know, a boring place. A, just a monotonous place. Um, but Foxton's, we, we came up with some <clears throat> crazy things. I mean, we had monthly prizes that, um, and it was amazing. We, we had caps. We had eight different caps, and you earned a cap uh, right. depending on the amount of deals you do. These were baseball caps, and it had sort of ace, uh, genius, uh, and right up to superstar or god or something like that. And these were these were we had an army of people, well, I army, mean, five or six people delivering them all around the offices as as people hit targets. To so I mean the. The way of running teams there was totally unique. And I don't think it could be done anywhere else but a big city.
0: Well, Peter, one thing, because obviously, you know, we're touching on a few stats and figures and the progress with the benefit of hindsight in terms of what Foxton's became and, and kind of grew into. Back when you first started in those early stages, was it this kind of what was the culture like? What was the vibe like? What was the vision like? Was it always kind of a case of we're gonna completely revolutionize the space? We're gonna do something different, we're gonna challenge yes. convention, or did you just kind of fall into it? How, how did no, all no, that come be? To-
2: no, it was definitely the former. Um, and it wasn't me. Uh, I, I can't get I can't um take any any um, uh, credit for that. It was John. Um, and he was a, a revolutionary and a and a forward thinker. and um, you know I mean when I joined and I said it was nine till nine, seven days a week, the industry was nine till five, five days a week. you know, and the only employed ex-public schoolboys out of the army. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was so anachronistic and old-fashioned. And we were, and probably we were loathed by the competition and and i you know john john once said to me he said pete will become you know we will become the 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 conservative not the conservative the the um the establishment one day but as it as of now we have to fight against the establishment we have to be everything they aren't uh, and what they weren't was pushy and aggressive and they didn't employ salespeople. they just employed nice people and we employed hard-nosed salespeople and as i said we were universally hated certainly by the competition and arguably by um uh, our clients and, and applicants but only arguably because frankly our clients thought we were great because we got more money for them because we went out and really went to war for them one of john's favorite expressions is we go to war for our clients which is a very aggressive thing to say but we um, you know we were aggressive we, we weren't out there to make up numbers we were out there to win and win not at all costs, but but a lot of costs. Almost. And how, <laughs> how, how, how difficult was that, mate? As you started to
0: kind of get traction and momentum and bring in more people and grow and expand and develop, how difficult was it to keep that aggressive mentality embedded in the company culture? Did it get harder as the company started to scale? Did it get easier because that brought momentum? Like, what, what was
2: that piece like? Well, I left in 2005, and at that stage, we were still hyper-aggressive. Um, we, you know, the, the internal lingo was, if it was under offer with another agent, it was under offer EA, and that didn't stand for a state agent, that stand, stood for enemy agent. I mean, we really saw them our competition yes. as the enemy, um, and, and we wouldn't do any fee splits, which, you know, fee splits in London was, were just all <laughs> over the place. People would say, oh, I'll give you 1% of my fee if you'd sell this. Bollocks! We would absolutely not do that at any stage, and we would never go to the drinks parties um, to launch a house. Uh, and if we did, on on the rare occasion we were invited, literally the guys would sprint back to the office to ring their ring their buyers. It was there was nothing there was nothing genteel about it. Um, and I was probably the, the sort of acceptable face of Foxtons, and I was the you know the guy at the front, being being quite nice to people. Um, uh, but it's, I think it's really important to to be tough in business, but fair. And I think um, under my um, stewardship, if you like, we became fairer. Um, and at Martian Parsons, we became much fairer. I think probably one of the reasons I left Foxen's is I'd, I'd sort of grow. I'd fallen out of love with them, that they'd become too aggressive and and too nasty and too unfeeling and, and with zero empathy. Um, I think that's changed now. But at, at the end there, it was. I was, the, I was the boss, so you could argue it was being driven by me, but I was I was severely um, managed by John, let's say that. Has it, that changed,
1: has, has it changed with the times, or hmm. has it changed because
2: it's not being driven in the same way? It's a really, really good question that, and I've thought about that a lot. Um, I don't think we could get away with what we did, which was you know pretty tough with social media. Um, right. And we didn't we didn't have social media then. So I, I think, you know, it was often said to me, Pete, you'll piss off so many people, you won't have any clients. Uh, and we didn't. And lots of people came back to us and we charged full fees. And, you know, they like they, they perhaps didn't like the way we did business, but they respected it and they enjoyed the result. Uh, and let's face it, you don't need to be pals with your estate agent. It helps, but you don't need to be what you want is your agent to get you the most amount of money, more than anybody else can and certainly more than you can. And. Um, um, but has it changed? I think it has changed now and it may be driven by social media, but I think it's changed to such an extent. And I don't know Fox as well and I don't know many of the people there anymore. But to me, it seems like a bit of a nothing business. It's neither it's neither you know traditional n- nor is it go out, you know, get out there and, and and make waves. It's still very slick. I just feel it's become a bit anonymous is my outsider's view. And I, as I said, I, I I don't know it well at all.
1: Well, I, I think but we're talking specifically about foxins there. But actually we could be talking about a lot of the companies of that ilk and that size, I think. And and this yeah. is a conversation Ben and I have had is is and I think we've done it on the podcast, which is how what would we do right now if we were heading up a big firm to compete yeah. with the likes of, you know, the self-employed agent, the smaller independents. Because I think I think where they might struggle is that I don't think people are interested in brands on social media, but I think they are interested in people mm. so if if right now if if we we see agents now becoming bigger and better known than their brands in their area and then what happens once they become bigger and better known they leave
2: yeah, yeah absolutely what? yeah and, well and join you probably and and join um, us yeah that's right yeah. I mean it's, as yeah. I said to you, Scott the other day we, we chatted up several months ago now and it stuck in my mind as as to what you do because I I went to Australia in two thousand and four to speak at a conference with John McGrath, who's a brilliant. If you don't know McGrath estate agents in, in Sydney and, and elsewhere now, they're a brilliant agent. And John McGrath again is I would say is is probably not on a par with John Hunt, but he's he's pretty damn clever. Anyway, I came back having spoken at this conference just full of the joys of of changing the industry and and becoming much more like them, which is much more like your business, which is self-employed agents. You know, um, they work between 40 and 60, 70, 80 percent. You know, they were they were known personalities in their area. They really worked to their market. They're, they became brands under themselves and they, you know, they earn you know, a lot of money, a couple of million dollars, some of them um, and more, actually. Um, and I but I couldn't what I couldn't do was make it work for the for the principal, the, the agency owner. Um, you know, if you have all these amazing people running around earning 60, 70, 80 percent, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get, it, get to the stage where I'd be making the money as well as them, because I'd be yeah. paying for all sorts of other stuff. So it, it sort of stymied me. And, but I do think, and I did think then, that that has should have a big future in the industry. I think our fee structure in the UK is so disastrous that we're charging you know, 1% and less that it's much harder. But I I would like to think that really really good agents who are fabulous in their area and, no, and well known could be charged should could and should be charging more. I'm I'm
1: absolutely convinced that's going to change. I th- I'm absolutely convinced. We've proved that low fees don't work. Absolutely, in my view, proven beyond doubt that that mm-hmm. is not what the client is looking for. What we see. Is that a lot of agents who join us or or agents I talk to in any self-employed environment, whether they've set up independent on them, so they'll start very low because they're a bit nervous. They're pitching for business. But the more they become to value their time and their service, the less likely they are to drop their fee or the more they manage their time. You know, for example, now I know that Ben and I, Ben and I would walk away from a listing just to have the time back. Yeah, I know. I know we would, and <clears throat> I think I, I'm absolutely convinced fees are going to be driven up in the UK. Absolutely convinced yeah, of it. You hope you're right. Well, that's that, that's like it,
0: it's an incredible reframe that we've gone through, though, are Because we see it now uh, all the time, Peter. Especially if we get people who've come from backgrounds where they've been involved in a model where it's been very much a fee-driven product, or less the owner of the business says, "Look, go out and get that instruction at all costs." they kind of come in and and almost have a bit of imposter syndrome really in terms of thinking, well, it's not, it's not possible to get those fees. It's not possible until you do it. And then when you do it, you're your own social proof and you've got something to build off. And some people learn that lesson quicker than others. We've just had a young lad. um, I'll shout out Kevin actually, Kevin Hanley. Um, He messaged me last night. He just recently joined the business. Um, He's only 20, maybe 20, 21 very young, full like full of ambition, very forward thinking, very entrepreneurial. I had a gut feeling that he'd do well, but you just don't know until you bring people in. And a uh, message last night saying, "Mate, I've got my first instruction. It's a six hundred thousand pound house, one point eight percent. I've charged him two hundred and fifty pound for him. I can't believe I've done it." And it's like, go Brilliant. on, what what an incredible start! Um, Brilliant. But yeah, it's great. Well, I, see I remember,
2: at, I remember at Marsh and Parsons, the one, it was the, the my new manager at the Ballam office who'd come from a, another agent. And uh he said, it is so refreshing to not be able to drop my fees. The only way at Martian Parsons you could drop your fee was to call me. Wow. You'd say no. And I'd say no. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> so they didn't. So they fought for it. So they yeah. really, really fought for it because and they I never got calls because they knew I'd say no. Yeah. Um and, and and we got, you know, our average fee was two percent. So um, and and the world around us was 1.2 and 1.4, and you know foxes were two and a half. Great, good yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if they are anymore, but we fought. We fought really, really hard for it. And that's something sure you should anywhere.
0: know. Like- it's just a complete false economy though we were saying this a couple of weeks ago that you know the industry is notoriously not got the best reputation and that's because we're not charging enough money to the consumer so there's no cash in the pot to reinvest into talent yes. training development marketing exposure content we haven't got the cash in the pot so yep. if we just fix that fee piece all of a sudden that's the first domino in improving everything and, and, yeah, yeah. and raises standards.
2: so uh, well, my, my fine I'll never forget this my finance director said to me when you know I was always pushed by ma- by manager to say look if we just do it one and a half percent we'll get more and blah blah um he said to me pete if you drop your fee from two to one and a half percent you have to sell 33 percent more stock just to stand still wow well there you we know, go so you know i mean it just doesn't make sense and in a market that doesn't have much stock at the time like, i don't know if it probably hasn't now either um it just doesn't make any sense at all and it demoralizes your staff because they're they're being paid on commission i hope um personal commission um and they um and, and they're getting less and they're just you know and they're still looking at their manager and thinking you muppet you know go out and fight for our fees
1: i think i think part of what's going to be really interesting and maybe less so outside of of london because i think london there is still a big opportunity for estate agents to be employed and, and still earn good money but yeah. uh, earning earning a 100 grand a year in an employed role outside of london is one in one Jeff in Cohen. a few thousand yeah you know it's yeah. very very rare oh absolutely yeah um you know so uh, what, uh, average branch manager outside of london's probably on 50 55 grand a year something like that which is taking yeah. home three grand a month whereas actually Pass that up it, well there you go yeah exactly whereas if we i'm hoping that what we're going to do is by changing the opportunity which self-employed does and the opportunity for people to set up on their own and earn really really good money will start to drive a higher quality of people to the industry in the first place yeah because yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the money will be higher that is what's going to drive the fees up as well because if the quality of all of us goes up i don't see any reason why we can't all be successful you know i, I do love the expression enemy agent but actually to a certain extent we can work together on this one we can all drive fees up
2: um yeah but you, you'll always get the you'll always get the the, the discounters you just will you know, and that was my one of my favorite expressions when they when they when they said, Oh, will you do it for one percent? I'm so, I'm sorry, we're not a discountation. You know, yeah. discountation reminds me of, you know, pound shop and stuff like that. It's yeah. um yeah, yeah. it's not a nice thing to be, um, in in my in my view. I hope you're right. I I, I some of my best employee um, employees, people I found were from outside the industry, from from um I mean, we I've hired a couple of wait waiters and waitresses before who you know give me great service the restaurant i give my card and say come see me because you know they work bloody hard they don't make a lot of money um and they're charming people um and if they're upselling me on wine or whatever you know they're also salespeople. so yep. you know keep keep your eyes open i think i think you're right if we get a better quality of people within the business then fees can absolutely um improve but you know at foxton's and much much less so in fact probably not at all so at Marshall Parsons. we employ kids you know our our average age was 21 um and their first job was they got a car a phone and a basic salary and that's that was their intro to london so you know most of them didn't last very long Um, and a community you're straight
1: into a community absolutely as well aren't you you know you're you're finishing at nine you're going out till midnight drinking you're waking up at 5am and off you go to work again which absolutely it was
2: almost a cult
1: did you enjoy being part of that? I mean, earlier you said that oh, you were loathed okay. by the other agents, but did you? Was there a bit that. of you? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so did me then. I ben. loved it. I <laughs>
2: thought it was the most, it was a cult and, you know, I was there 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, um, I did not enjoy it. I mean, there are times, obviously, when it's a pain in the ass, but, um, you, know, you know, that's life. That's what all, all businesses go through, tough times. You know, the recession in 89 to 93 was unbelievably tough unbelievably, awfully tough, much tougher than the eight, 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 nine, ten, and or eight, uh, recession, seven, eight. Um, but you're through it. So I think people... I read
1: that, sorry, after you, Ben.
2: No, I was just going to say, mate, one thing
0: that I'd be interested to know, just kind of a question that popped into my head then, and this is coming from a place of complete selfishness. Um, Over that period of time, I know you said that you you kind of hooked up with those guys in the mid-80s and you was there for a good stint, a bit of a challenger brand that was growing rapidly and went through all crazy market conditions in your time. How did that impact and change you as a leader? How did that develop you as a person over that period of time?
2: Well, I was always... um... I have a very, very strong sense of, of service, believe it or not. <laughs> so I don't like to do anything half-assed. I, I'm never late. I, so, you know, I, I think if you inculcate your, your people with your own um, view of life in general, you know, be nice to people, and it doesn't sound like we were very nice, but, you know, I genuinely was nice. I was just tough. Uh, and I don't think those are not mutually exclusive. You, you don't have to be nasty and tough. You can be nice and tough. And you can have conversations with people. I used to warn people. One of my, my uh if I come to you and say, Scott, I'm afraid we're gonna have a tough conversation. Um, I would warn you about it before it happened. And I'd say, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, you're coming into work late, that wouldn't last, you wouldn't last very long, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I would tell you straight between the eyes what I was unhappy with, rather than sort of sort of make snide comments or not mention it and, in, and then in a month's time, fire you. You know, as I used to say, people aren't mind readers. You, you've got to tell them front and centre, straight between the eyes, what you want. You know, Marshall Parsons, the first hour and a half of anybody's entry into the business was with me. And I had a, a presentation of about the company, about what we did, about what we believed in, uh, about how to dress, um, about how to present yourself. Um, and so they were left in no doubt at all that if they came in unshaven, I'd send them home.
0: Yeah, I'd be screwed.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no but, yeah. I, I'm afraid it's a tough I'm,
0: morning in the office for me. <laughs> I can tell you this. I
2: in my day, and don't forget, I left. I left in well five years ago now, which was probably a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, I banned beards. Right. Which was awful, I know, and I definitely wouldn't get away with it now. But I did different times, um, different times, and, yeah, and yeah. I banned coloured shirts. i.e. black shirts. You know, you can have white or blue, but you know, you were we were working in most of the a lot of the offices were prime prime central london and people don't expect someone to come in with you know pointy brown shoes and a black shirt and a white tie it just would not work in central london
1: it's really interesting ben ben's seen the picture of me on my first day as a self-employed agent and i I looked i could have come straight out of one of your offices in prime central london i've got got the full three-piece suit i've got the tie pin i've got my hair is immaculate which you can see it no longer is (laughs) but but i'll tell you what was really weird is i I do maybe one valuation a week at that point and i was spending five six days a week in this pristine suit at home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. walking around my garden so you sort of relax it and then you find there's yeah. a market for that and i think the really True. interesting thing is you know we're getting to the point now with the way you can set up there's a genuine genuine market for a tattooed gothic estate agent now in mm. prime central london you know I, I don't know about prime okay yeah, no I'm I, the yeah, I, I, I,
2: there's I a get niche that. for
1: somebody you know there's a niche for somebody if you need to sell 500 houses a year you can't be a tattooed goth estate agent i don't believe could be wrong when you need to sell 35 or to 40 or even in london with those fees 20 houses a year to make 150 grand yeah you can be that person you know you can rock up in shorts and you know ben is not ben walks into two million pound houses how we see him now with you know the snapback the t-shirt shorts um I'll and say it, that. And, it's going to be straight
0: off the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I, That's
2: I, a gamble, though, in my view. I,
1: I, I just think it's no. – it's, I think a lot of what we do now is off recommendation, and that's the thing. Like, Ben, I know that you don't do any marketing or canvassing anymore. I no longer do any marketing or canvassing. So when, when Ben turns up, Ben's turned up on the basis of, hey, this is our estate agent. Check out the video made for us. This yep. is the type of communication we've had with him. I think he'll really suit you, you know, uncle or auntie or, or whoever, friend down the pub. And so they know exactly what they're going to get and then they get it. So they're greeted with exactly what they're yeah, expecting. Interesting.
2: Yeah, that's um, interesting.
1: And it is, but we've we've adapted to that. Ben, you started out similar to me, didn't you? You were suit, smart, typing.
0: Yeah, so three-piece suit, blazers. Like I would I'd always obviously wear a shirt and a type into my appointments, but that just kind of changed gradually over time. So for, for us, Peter, not to make this about me too much, but um, I grew my agency out of video basically. So we're quite big on video production. So effectively we have a a series called Escape to the Filed, which is like a mini TV program that we build around the properties that we sell. Now, initially that was built around, you know, a 50,000 pound one bedroom flat in Blackpool. It didn't warrant a video production, but the idea was to get myself on camera and kind of, yes, make the property the star of the show, but make (laughs) me a co-star and sort of show my ability to, to bring a bit of a production and a bit of razzmatazz to property sales. And that kind of grew gradually to the point where where it started to attract the upper end of the market. So the upper quartile and that kind of avatar started to come to us quite organically. And um, I was still, you know, putting my suits on. I'm not comfortable. It's boiling hot. I'm not feeling relaxed. And, you know, suddenly uh, the the tie went and a button came undone. Then the blazer went, then all of a sudden it went to like a more of a casual shirt. Then the jeans came out. (laughs) It just
2: transitioned. Um, I I genuinely think that's fine. As long as you are who you are, if you sort of mean, Um, uh, that's absolutely fine. I personally, I, wouldn't go in shorts but i would absolutely go without a tie and a you know a pair of trousers and a shirt you know that wouldn't worry me at all but i i think you've got to be quite careful you've got to know your market if you turn up to sort exactly. of you know colonel blimp and is and he, you turn up in shorts so you're not going to get the instruction no, but, no so it's a bit of a gamble i think
1: I think yeah. it's a difference. Between, I mean, it's horses for courses, isn't it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest now because that works for Ben and I that Martian Parsons listening. No, of now not. go in tomorrow and say, do you know what? Now you know that because because that again, it's all about. It's about somebody getting what they were expecting, and that's not yes. what they're expecting. Um, right. I'm I'm re- I'm interested with your move to Martian Parsons, Peter, as well because very different entity to Foxtons, which shows versatility i guess from you um you on your linkedin profile you described them as i'm I'm hopeful i can use this term sleepy and ineffectual um which i guess (laughs) is the perfect business to buy with your experience in many ways um so i mean how did you go about changing that that culture over the first few weeks and months was it was it (laughs) evolution revolution
2: revolution yeah
1: just straight away overnight
2: yeah um i yeah i bought Martian parsons in to June 2005, um, having met the guy I bought it with at a conference on the uh, on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. So how about that? I met him and he was in the audience. I was doing a talk about Foxtons again, and he said, "Why are you doing this for someone else?" Anyway, you know, one thing led to another, and it was a guy called Mark Fitzgerald who owned a business called Cherry Fitzgerald in Ireland, who are the biggest agents by a long, long, long way in Ireland, and a brilliant man, a wonderful, wonderful man. Anyway, we bought it. Um, and it was so unbelievably sleepy. I mean, coming from Foxton's, it was you know, it was like stepping back into the Middle Ages. It was extraordinary, um, uh, ineffectual people who would just been there to sort of fill the hours between nine and five. Um, the I don't even remember those stocking great computers, which, you know, were about sp- Anyway, there was lines of them down in the office. Uh, I was told at the time my, my my iPhone had more power than most of their computers. It was so old fashioned; incre- it was incredible. Um, and so we had—I fi- took it over with seven offices and fifty-six people. One office, one office was closed because it just wasn't making any money. Um, and within six months, I got rid of about forty-five of those people. Um, and and the, 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 how I did that mainly was they mostly left because I increased the opening hours from. Nine till six to nine till or (laughs) lettings, believe it or not, was nine till five and sales was nine till six. So weird. Anyway, um, so I increased the opening hours and basically told them to have to work for a living and 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 I sort of I um, I gave it a big shot of adrenaline by introducing a a very very generous um, commission package Um, and so people were really focused on getting out there and working and and I was very lucky with the market. in about September that year, the market kicked off. And we did some unbelievable, I mean, a bit like now, actually, what's going on in London now. Um, unbelievable business. So we were very lucky, you know. Success is a mixture of hard work and luck. Um, and and you certainly don't get it without hard work. And you can get it without luck, but hard work is, is the thing, in my view. A real focus and an utter complete focus. And I changed the brand. Um, the brand was old fashioned, it was said established 1856. It was red and it was white, you know, like every other Asian, it's either red, white or blue. Uh, and so we changed it to chocolate brown, which was a, <laughs> which was a big gamble at the time. You know, no, chocolate brown, you've got to be kidding, but it stood out from the crowd and we refurbished the offices, changed the people um, and uh, came up with some interesting slick uh, marketing that people remarked upon um and employ great people and motivated great people um and that's you know it's not a I often say it's not a difficult business it's difficult to do well it's not a difficult business so you get the right people you have the right work ethic and you absolutely as the boss keep completely focused you know I never did anything else apart from it. I never did property development nothing absolute laser-like focus at all hours of the day and night on the business that's what I did
1: I think that's it's funny how you talk about the laser focus because it's it's one of the it's one of the warning signs that we've picked up on when you when somebody might be struggling. It's not necessarily their financial situation or their pipeline. It's when they pick up the phone and start asking about doing something drastically different with their business. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes you do need to, but I mean, you know, we're, we're essentially a sales focused business. We do have a lettings arm. But sometimes when somebody who's not doing great phoned you up about lessons, you sometimes almost have to say, "Well, hang on a minute. You know, what's, 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 what's yeah. telling you that when it's not going well in an area that you're highly knowledgeable, that we're going to be able to branch out and yeah. expand in an area where you're not particularly knowledgeable. And sometimes I think, you know, was it? Theopathetus always used the phrase, uh, keep it simple, stupid. You know, and I always come back to that. You know, I, I think our business is incredibly simple. And if anybody asks me the difference between doing well or not, it's hard work I just yeah, can't yeah. echo that anymore could you yeah. bend I mean not at all I mean the the, the the fundamentals
0: you know it is quite simple it's not easy to do because like everything in life it's complicated by humans it's complicated by your lack of prioritization commitment uh, patience you ca- you're you not consistent enough it's all those things that kind of separate the wheat from the shaft so it's interesting Peter that the change that you said that you made the first thing that you did was say look brilliant guys you can now earn more money here's a very generous commission package but the catch is you've got to bloody work for it and that does separate the people who are genuinely there and motivated and want to perform and earn well and progress to those who just want to clock off at five o'clock and go and watch netflix
2: well yeah, exactly i mean those people wouldn't last long with me I, I mean it's you know you wouldn't you don't employ people to turn up just turn up you, you, they've got to be absolutely a complete focus the, the most important thing i ever did um this, this is a bit of free um very simple um, way to create a a business. Now, it probably is not effective for your business because you work by yourselves, but in a team environment, um, when I took over at Foxton's in 97, we were 10 offices turning over about 10 or 11 million quid. Um, I introduced a a time management structure and you probably all heard about the Foxton's time management structure, nine to 12, two to four, uh, not allowed out of the office. So the whole team were on the phones at nine uh, making appointments. We, we used to focus them on 10 appointments a day uh, between 12 and two. They'd out, go out and show, show some between two and four, they'd come back. And if they hadn't made their 10, they'd do more, or they'd speak to lawyers and get deals through. And between four and eight, because we, we, we uh, went soft and reduced it from nine to eight, four and eight uh, was out showing property again every day. And so we were rigorous about that, absolutely rigorous. And it had, it was, it was, had a remarkable effect on the numbers. I mean, with, we had one office. Within two and a half, three years, we were up to 40 million turnover. Now, wow. obviously, that is, that is market-related as well, but it just ensured success. I used to, I used to say to people, I'm going to insist you're, you're successful, and the only way you're going to be successful is to follow this. Don't reinvent the wheel. I know it works, it does work, and it always worked utterly brilliantly. A focus on salespeople who, if they don't have a focus, will do anything in their power not to pick up the phone because they're waiting for an appointment, making a cup of coffee, picking up a set of keys, blah, blah, blah. Focus. And uh, it it was and is, remains to this day, the most important thing you can do.
0: How did you get that balance between the carrot and the stick?
2: (laughs) Well, it was really difficult to bring it in to start with because, you know, in, in, when I was a neg at Fox and frankly, you know, or even a manager, um, you'd say, right, you know, there you go guys. There's a phone, a desk, a card, get on with it. Um, and so there was no, there was, you know, it was literally your own, your own business. And to your business, I'm sure this sounds like an anathema. It sounds awful. Um, but if you're running a team and anyone who who is watching this is running a team, uh, I can highly recommend it. Now, we had a lot of... Foxen's was huge and and incredibly successful, incredibly busy. So, you know, at, at m p it was 9 to 11 and not 2 to 4. But we had a focused in the day, a focused time to make outgoing phone calls and not sod around with other waste of time things. Like well, the,
1: <laughs> ben, have you picked up on the parallels there already? La- last week, um, we spoke with one of our most successful US-based agents, a guy called Rich Tomasini, um, Rich um was a realtor over there and now um, introduces agents to eXp and and he's got something like what 1700 Ben, I think it's around that
2: Um,
1: income of around about a hundred thousand dollars a month, um, which is passive. So a really highly successful guy. We asked him the same question. we got a very similar answer, which was to, to kick off your morning with your revenue generating calls.
2: Yep, absolutely. And He's I'll, a big
0: I'll, fan of that time batching, basically. And it's like, okay, between 9 and 12, this is what I'm focused on. Nothing else is going to deter me away from it. And exactly. I'll, allow, I'll allow myself some freedom later in the day if I deserve it, not in that yeah. increment of time.
1: Well, actually, but it is – where he works by himself, it is pure carrot and stick, isn't it? It's, it's not that he wants to do it first thing. It's that he wants to enjoy his afternoon. Hmm. So rather than spend your morning worrying about the fact you're procrastinating and the afternoon trying to catch up with what you should have done in the morning, actually yeah. – I don't know about you. I found if you work really hard between nine and 12, if you need to, you can start the pace in the afternoon and you still get results.
2: Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's key. And interestingly, just a little aside, at Chiswick Park, which was the big, the monster office, you, and it was 40,000 square feet. It was huge. To start the day at nine o'clock, uh, they had speakers in the ceiling. You know, it was, I mean, enormous. Um, and it, we had the sound of a Lancaster bomber coming through. <laughs> <laughs> that was the start of the day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> every day, every day. That, oh, wow. You love knew that. that when the Lancaster bomber came, you were on the phone
1: wow i like that
0: I that's what very, i want in my that's what i want with my espresso wow well, we we
1: when i was at miles and bar peter we we were like like i say it's really interesting when you talk about your experience about and we had maybe six offices and i remember the first business we modeled ourselves on Foxons, we had the minis young staff and and you know we bought um we acquired an office from a, a guy who's retiring in, in whitstable and you know, sort of sleepy town and that the first day we walked in to take to sort of see what we would got they after the morning meeting every single member of staff turned their phone upside down between nine and and immediately we went whoa, whoa 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 what's going on and the answer we got was the phone's going mad at nine o'clock and we just can't catch up with our work so we turn them off for the first half an hour oh my god <laughs> Yeah, and then at the end of the day, it was like five thirty. Like we did exactly the same thing: change the hours, the commission, everything. I remember classic. You know, if you finish at five thirty, what don't you want to see at twenty five past five? It's people putting their coats on, so they can have a rolling exit. So, yeah, walking out the door at five thirty. So, I think the interesting thing is there is, you know, the parallels. You're, You're in London. It'd be easy for anybody to listen and say, "Well, that's great, Peter. Great advice." But you're working in this prime central london area it's very aggressive it's very different but actually the business lessons are are the same they're universal
2: yeah they absolutely are and and, and that's the good thing about our business and i think remains the good thing about our business that most agents are not very good most the vast majority i would say which which from my from my point of view you know was was always a massive positive (laughs) which is a bit depressing i know but you know, if most aren't very good, if you're if you're if you're pretty good to very good, you can really stand out, um, and that's an exciting place to be.
1: And fast as well. I think you can. I think I think you can, and probably now even faster than ten years ago with social media. You know, it doesn't yeah. take much yeah. to turn things around. You know, we've got agents to become the well. We've got one agent in um, where's um, I've forgotten her name now. The lady up north who's absolute market leader, working on her own. Hey, Claire. Kirsty, 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 no, and Claire. Yeah, well, Kirsty. So, so we we started this business on the basis of you go and take one percent of your market and you make hundred grand a year, or yep. in fact half a percent of your market and you make hundred grand a year. We've got a lady on her own who is in a town of like eight actual traditional agents, and she's the market leader on her own.
2: Amazing,
1: good, And, and it's all it's social she posts. Absolutely, yeah. she posts everything on social. Breakfast. But she must lunch, be bloody you know, good. Oh, yeah. You must oh, yeah, get back good. to
2: people she's... on time. She's never late for an appointment. She's relentless. Absolutely fantastic on advice. You know, the American agents, you know, they get paid a lot of money, as you know. They're four and five and six percent. But Jesus, they really go, for, go to town. They have parties. They pay for things. They, they really give a fantastic service. So, you know, I used to find people coming out of Foxton's were really not very good. Because they were order takers. They were taxi drivers. They literally, they get the applicant from the marketing, they get the property from the marketing, and they'd get in their car and they'd show it. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. You know, there, wasn't, there really wasn't any skill apart from getting in a car, showing it, and negotiating a bit. Now, I'm underplaying that. Obviously, there's a lot of skill in getting a deal through. But So to find business and create new business, that's why not every agent can do what you do uh, at, at all, in fact. And only the very best will be successful at what you do, I think. Or they can create for themselves the very best. But if they think they're going to turn up for work, sit down and make a few calls and, and, and make a hundred grand a year, they're kidding themselves. It is much more than that. It is involvement of the local community. It's involvement in the local area. It is it is lots of social. It's, it's you know, it's 24-7. They're not sitting in a desk 24-7, but it is 24-7 working on creating their business. And I think, I think th-
1: that's the story Ben and I are so keen to show, you know, and that's why you won't see... You won't see Ben or I posting that we finish work at 5.30 to have a beer. Here's a picture of my beer and things like that. We are are so keen to show genuinely what is required to be successful in this business, which is hard work. You know, well, regularly, Ben, we're always communicating after nine o'clock at night with one another, with our clients. And Mm. I think people need to know that. I think it's eyes wide open, really, coming into this business is really, really important because you're putting a lot on the line. Yeah, you are i think i think with this model though,
0: when it comes to kind of like thinking outside the box and marketing yourself it's not an easy skill but i think the frustrating thing is that for every single person at least in my opinion you know your authenticity is your superpower i think as long as they're able to be themselves and put themselves out there and not be afraid of what are people going to think is it going to be a success Am I going to get criticized just fucking yes. do it and i yeah. think sometimes taking those first few steps is the hardest but they'll see the world is theirs if they're just there to put themselves out there and be a little bit different and kind of go against the grain slightly because that's what the consumer yeah. wants. If they yeah, want like right. it, yeah,
2: I mean, I used to say uh, integrity is your is the main thing you've got. And, you know, in, losing your integrity is like losing your virginity. You'll never get it back. And you mess around with people and you, you shaft people, you're screwed. So, you know, many agents do, do dodgy deals and take back hands and all that sort of stuff it just it, it shouldn't enter your mind if you're if you're a sensible business person agent as opposed to a sort of fly by night um uh, or just make a quick buck agent and you know agent you can be in this business in any business in your business in your type of business in my type of business for 20 years and make a load of money but not if you mislead people and, and rip them off obviously
1: very short term isn't it i couldn't agree really more. Short um my, my last question for you peter and then we'll let you get back out in that sunshine and work on that sand.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that,
0: that, that that time does not need any more work but anyone anyone listening who can't see the visual is a bronze. Oh, <laughs> if
1: if 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 i think you describe you're more of a an empire builder right that's a, yeah. a expression that you like and i really like that one too if, if you were going out there now in, in 2021 and you were looking to grow a, an empire in, in, in our business, in a state agency, what would that look like knowing what you
2: know now? Hmm. Well, um, it's a, that's a tricky question. I, I, I would, what would, I I'd, I'd do what I did, but I'm not sure you could do it now, which was buy a brand. Right. I think in my business, in what I know about, I don't know much about your business. I, I like the sound of your business. And I think it definitely has a massive future. But for my old-fashioned business, um, I'd, I'd find and buy a brand because my view is that brands can be uh, upgraded massively. But to start a brand, if I started in in Chelsea as Peter Rollings and Co, then uh, it would have taken me decades to get anywhere. Frankly, but I bought Martian Parsons for frankly not a lot of money. And I'm not going to tell you how much, but it wasn't. It was you know low seven figures. Um, uh, with six offices in Kensington, Chelsea, I was incredibly lucky. I really was. It was not It was a brilliant brand. It had just was, hadn't been, been owned by the same guy for 40 years and was just languishing. But it, it, if you can find a good brand in your town or village or whatever that has been around a long time, which is just a bit sad, and, and frankly, you could do that working in your business. You know, if, if, if you've got a good brand, a bit sad, you can really uh, jazz it up and make it much for not a lot of money and make it much more relevant and do some advertising. Everyone's heard of the brand because they have, <laughs> because it's been around for, let's say, 30 years, but but they haven't sort of recognized it because it's synonymous. It's boring. It's dull. The colors are shit. The, the, the office looks like, looks like a, you know, it's terrible, but you just do that. And I think there's big chances. That's what I do.
0: Very last, last question from me, Peter, obviously we've, um, you know, discussed your career there kind of, I guess, over the last, three decades or so, pretty much the best part of. And I think by anyone's benchmark, you've been a successful guy in the industry. You've achieved a lot. Um, what does success ultimately look like for you today? And what are your sort of plans and goals and aspirations moving forward beyond this podcast?
2: Well, I, I've um, I've had a, a big hand in building two businesses. And I'll, as I often say, as the, as the chief exec of the business, it just sucks the life out of you. And so I'm definitely not going to do that. <laughs> I've done I've been there I've done that twice so you've but saved I think it I, I think I'm investing in various businesses uh some tech businesses which I'm interested in um I'm very interested in in cars classic cars <laughs> uh that's my latest passion um and uh I will I've joined something called the property academy which is with Peter Knight so I'm going to be mentoring a group of estate agents over a period of time um I think we meet six times a year um so I I love I love do- doing stuff like this. I love looking at businesses and seeing what they do and how they do it and just suggesting other things that might, might improve their, their outcomes. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's what I like, but I don't, I suppose I don't want to get my hands dirty again, um, because it's, it's just too much and I'm enjoying what I do, which is well, not mate, a <laughs> and what,
0: what, what a great place to be though. Cause it sounds like not to put words in your mouth, but from this point forward, it's all about passion, not so much about profit and what an amazing place to be in and, and very well deserved yeah. Peter.
1: Yeah, good for you. Peter, I've enjoyed every minute of that. Thanks very much for jumping on. I really, really appreciate your time. Likewise. Nice to see you
2: guys. Good luck. Lovely to meet you, Peter. Thank you. Lovely. Take care. Thanks, Peter. Bye.